There are no smoother tongues on the planet than the tongues of false teachers. But if you buy what they're selling, if you believe their words, those words will come with a soul-damning poison administered to your heart. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom continues his current series with part four of Not Even One. We're looking at the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Romans, specifically chapter 3, verses 9 through 18. So far, we've looked at Paul's sweeping declaration that there is no one individual who truly seeks after God. The inner condition of every human soul prior to regeneration through the work of the Holy Spirit, illuminating the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is sinful depravity. And today, Tom will examine some of the implications that result from this inner depravity in the heart of man, as well as how you are to respond to the incredible news that the only way forward is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's join Tom Pennington now with today's message on The Word Unleashed. Sin has permeated every part of our being. It has spread everywhere. That's what Paul wants us to see. First of all, our depravity consists in darkened minds. Look at verse 11. There is none who understands. Let me give you the context from Psalm 14. In Psalm 14, 2... The psalmist writes this, The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men. So you get the picture. God's in heaven. He's looking down across the planet, the sons of men, to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. And the obvious implication in the the context is he didn't find a single one. Not one person on the planet who understands. What does that mean? Well, obviously, the word means to have an intelligent grasp of something, but, but what is he talking about here? Well, first of all, you need to note that this is not a momentary lapse of understanding. It's not, I momentarily forgot something. Rather, it is a defining, permanent characteristic. In fact, the language has the idea, it's not that I don't understand, it's that we are all people who lack understanding. It's a characteristic of us. Fallen man simply lacks all spiritual understanding. Now, make sure you're clear on what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that unbelievers can't understand the facts of Christianity or they can't understand the Bible in, in the way they would understand other literature. I have commentaries on my shelf written by liberals who reject the truth of Scripture, who can explain the language and the context fairly well. Help in a helpful way. But they don't believe it, and they don't entrust their lives to it. In that sense, they are unable to understand. They just don't get its truthfulness and its implications in their life. So, what do sinners, apart from grace, not understand? Let me give you several things, just quickly. First of all, they don't understand all spiritual truth. 1 Corinthians 2.14 a natural man, that is a man 
who is an unregenerate person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, the Scripture, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot, this is ability, this is capacity, he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Again, not the facts, but the truthfulness of them. He doesn't understand them in a life-changing way. He doesn't embrace the implications. Also, unbelievers don't understand the truth about God. Romans 1, remember, they should have. They knew certain things about God from what was displayed all around them, but instead they worship rocks and sticks and ideas. They immerse themselves in idolatry and false religion. They don't understand the truth about their own desperately lost condition. You know, from time to time, I'll have a conversation with, uh, with an unbeliever who takes this position. Most of the time, you talk to people, and you tr- you're convincing them they're a sinner, and most of them will go along with that. Yeah, I'm a sinner. I understand that. But occasionally, and you've probably had this experience, where someone will say to you, you know, I appreciate your sincerity and all that, but I just don't need all that stuff because I, I'm really not a sinner. Now, how could a person with a brain come to that conclusion? It's because they've ignored their consciences. They've ignored the work of the law written in the heart. They've ignored the, the truth of Scripture. They've reclassified, redefined sin so that they meet the standard, and they show, according to Paul here, an utter lack of spiritual understanding. They have no real comprehension of their sin, no conception of the eternal destiny that awaits them. They also have no understanding of the truth about how to be right with God. Ask the average unbeliever who believes there is a God, how can you be right with God and what will they say? You know, I'm trying to do the best I can. I'm trying to be a good person. I think my good works outweigh my bad works. They have no understanding. Now, why does man have this lack of understanding in all things spiritual? This is key to understand. It's not because of a lack of information. Man's problem is willful ignorance. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, Paul here is describing pagans, and he's saying to us, don't live like pagans, don't walk. Notice verse 17 of Ephesians 4. That you walk no longer as the pagans walk. Don't live like they live. And the first thing he notes is in the futility of their mind. In vain, empty thoughts. In other words, their, their philosophies, their ideologies, their way of thinking, the grid through which they see the world. In our culture, it's primarily naturalism. Paul says, don't, don't walk after their futile ideas like naturalism. Verse 18 why would you embrace those ideologies and philosophies? Because you're darkened. They're darkened in their understanding. There it is again. The, they, don't, they don't understand. Excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. But what's ground zero? Where does all of this start? Notice the end of verse 18. Because of the hardness of their heart. That's exactly what Paul said in Romans 1. It's not a lack of information. It's hard-hearted rebellion. That's the reason for the darkened mind. What is the solution for man's spiritual ignorance? I love the way John puts it in 1 John 5.20. He says this, 
The Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Jesus gives us understanding. Depravity includes darkened minds. Our depravity also includes, secondly, enslaved wills. Look back in Romans 3, verse 11. There is none who seeks for God. Literally, there is none who seeks out God. Unbelievers fail to desire God. They fail to desire to know God. They fail to worship God. They fail to enjoy God. They fail to give God glory. Why? Because sin is at its heart a rebellion against God being God. I want to be God instead. One commentator puts it this way, sin is the revolt of the self against God. The dethronement of God with a view to the enthronement of oneself. Ultimately, sin is self-deification. I love this. This is so true. The reckless determination to occupy the throne which belongs to God alone. That's sin. The reckless determination to occupy the throne which belongs to God alone. And so there's none who seeks for God. When it comes to spiritual understanding, all men are blind. When it comes to a relationship with God, all men are dead in their trespasses and sins. Not one person apart from grace. Do you hear what Paul's saying? Not one person apart from divine grace is seeking God. Instead, we all run from God, just like Adam and Eve did. Man is is so blind. You know, doesn't it just make sense that we, the creature, would, would seek our creator, would seek everything we need from him, would seek our life, our happiness, our joy, our forgiveness, our, our relationship with him from him? And yet we're so blinded by our darkened understandings that we don't seek those things from God. Instead, we seek them everywhere else. By the way, When Paul says there is no one who seeks for God, it shows us just how ludicrous it is to have seeker-sensitive services. There are no seekers. That's what Paul says. There are no seekers. In fact, I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones writes. This was before the seeker-sensitive movement, so he wasn't responding to it. He was anticipating it. Listen to what he writes. There is nothing so unscriptural as to say that the natural man is seeking for God and that his trouble is that nobody has ever given him the gospel he's been waiting for and expecting to hear. This is a flat contradiction of the scriptural declaration that there is none that seeks after God. Man, by nature, is a God-hater. He is at enmity with God. He is dead in trespasses and sins. You say, okay, Tom, I I hear you. There's none who seeks for God, but wait a minute. What What about all the world's religions? Aren't they sincerely seeking God? Just They're just misled? No. Paul says there is none who seeks for God. As we learned in Romans chapter 1, false religion, atheism, agnosticism are simply ways to run away from the true knowledge of the true God that's revealed in his creation, that's written into the human conscience and heart. It's everywhere he looks. In fact, look back at chapter 1, verse 20. 
For since the creation of the world, in other words, from the very beginning, God's invisible attributes, specifically his eternal power and his deity, his divine nature, have been clearly seen. And not just seen, they are understood, being understood. How? By looking at what he made. So that all men, without exception, are without excuse. Here it is, verse 21. For even though they knew God, they didn't honor him as God. They willfully chose not to honor him and not to give thanks. So understand then that the world religions are not seeking God. They are running from the true God. You say, well, you know, there are people in my life who are unbelievers who appear to be seeking God. What about them? Well, if someone is truly seeking the true God, it's only because of divine intervention. It's only because of grace. Although we should seek God, our creator, Paul says here that none does. Not one person does or ever has. Instead, if we are to be rescued, God must come seeking us. This is the story of the Bible. The very first sin in Genesis 3 How did Adam and Eve respond? Did they run to God for forgiveness? No, they ran the other way. And it was God the Son who came in the cool of the day seeking them. Genesis 3, 9. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? God seeking man. And that's the story of the Bible. In fact... That's why Christ came. I love what he says in, in um, John chapter 4, verse 23. He's talking to the Samaritan woman, and he says to her, God seeks true worshipers. How does God seek true worshipers? In and through his Son. Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus says this, The Son of Man, that's himself, the Son of Man has come. He says, here's the reason for the incarnation. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. No one, no person who has ever lived, no person alive today, no person who will ever live, seeks God. There's only one true seeker in the universe, and that's God. Paul's point here is that our wills are corrupt. Fallen men and fallen women always choose to run from God. They choose against God. They choose against God's law. This is a reminder to us. It humbles us. If you're sitting here this morning and you are in Christ, it's not because you sought God. It's because God in his mercy and grace sought you and found you and made you his own. There is still none who seeks after God. Thirdly, our depravity produces rebellious lifestyles. Verse 12, All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. Notice again the comprehensive expression, all, no exceptions, have turned aside. That Greek word means to keep away from, to steer clear of. This is not an accidental straying from the path. Whoops, I I messed up, I I misstepped. This is a purposeful, intentional act of rebellion. 
All of us have turned aside intentionally, purposefully from the path that God has laid out for us in his word. The patterns of behavior that he has commanded and we have pursued instead our own way. By the way, this expression in verse 12 isn't addressing so much our individual acts of sin. He's going to get to that. This has more to do with the total direction of our lives. We are off the rails. We are off the path. And that's where we spend our entire life, apart from grace. It's like Isaiah 53, 6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Charles Hodge writes, blinded by sin to the perfections and loveliness of God, they have turned from the way which he has prescribed, which leads to himself, and have made the choice of another way. Now, what ways do people choose off of the path? I love the way Martin Luther in his commentary on Romans puts it. Listen to this. He says, some go out of the way to the left, namely those who serve wealth, honor, pleasure, and the glory of this world. Others go out of the way to the right, namely those who hold to their own righteousness, virtue, and wisdom. But neither of them cares for God's righteousness nor obeys him. In other words, you can leave the way and you can give yourself to sin and you can live in utter wickedness and do everything imaginable, or you can go to your own way by being a pretty good person and being self-righteous. But either way, you've left God's path. He's absolutely right. All have turned aside. Notice verse 12, together, that is, everyone with no exception, they have become useless. This is an interesting word in the Hebrew text of Psalm 14. The word useless there is a word which means tainted. In fact, it's a word that's used of milk that has soured and is no longer good. We've all had this experience, right? It's late in the evening and you're about to head toward bed and you think, boy, a nice, tall, cold glass of milk would be a wonderful thing. So you go to the fridge and and you find the carton and you pour yourself a nice, tall glass and you start to chug it down and the first bit of it hits your taste buds and you realize it's bad. It's sour, and you, you get this sort of repulsive feeling that sweeps over you, and you, you run to the sink, and you spit it out, and you pour the glass down with disgust, and then you get the carton, and you, you empty the carton in the sink. Sour. God says, mankind has gone bad. It's gone bad. We are no longer useful for what we were designed to be. What's the first question of the shorter catechism? What is the chief end of man? And the answer, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. When we strayed from our creator's path, we became completely useless for everything we were designed to be. We're no longer a use to God. We're not really useful to one another, and we're not even useful to ourselves. This is what John Owen said, the great English Puritan. Listen to this. Commenting on this text, he said, they are become putrid, or corrupted like petrified or excuse me like putrefied fruit or meat therefore useless not fit for what they were designed to serve god to promote their own good and the good of others useless this is not a very flattering indictment is it this is our real selfie 
Now, why, why does Paul emphasize this so much? Why was this indictment of man's sinfulness such an important part of the gospel he preached? And why did he take all of his time to say it to the Roman Christians? I think there are a couple of reasons, but for us as believers, I want you to understand it this way. If you've ever been in a jewelry store, when you go into the store, the, the owner of the store doesn't just throw the diamonds down on the glass counter. What does he do first? He puts down a piece of black cloth. Why? Because against that dark background, the, the light and the sparkle and the brilliance of the stone is set off. That's exactly what Paul is doing here. That's exactly the reality. We can only appreciate the beauty and the brilliance of the gospel if we first perceive the darkness of man's true spiritual condition. We only want the gospel if we understand the darkness. Lloyd-Jones writes, By showing us the terrible character of sin and the appalling position of man as he is by nature, it therefore shows us by contrast the glory of the grace of God in the gospel. Very quickly, there are two important implications that grow out of this passage. First implication, before you can be a Christian, you first have to understand the truth of your own sinfulness. That's why this was part of the gospel Paul preached. Our Lord put it this way in Luke 5.31, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. Listen, if you have cancer but don't know you have cancer and you think you're perfectly healthy, I will not be able to convince you to go to the doctor. But if you come to some understanding that you are really sick, that you are terminally sick, potentially, then you will go to the doctor. It's only as you begin to understand your own desperate sinfulness, that you will be willing to turn from your sin in repentance to Jesus Christ and his perfect life and his, his substitutionary death and his resurrection as your hope. You'll turn to him as the doctor, the only physician who can fix you. I mean, do you really get what Paul is saying here? Do you understand? God wrote this passage about you and about me apart from Christ and the gospel. This is how God sees you. And until you see yourself in this condition, you won't go to the doctor. There's a second implication, and that is for us who are in Christ. Your love for God grows out of an understanding of what you've been forgiven. Again, our Lord in Luke seven forty seven, speaking of the, you remember the immoral woman who anointed his feet, he says this, her sins have been forgiven. He who ha- is forgiven little loves little. That's a remarkable statement. He who is forgiven little loves little. Now, don't misunderstand. Jesus isn't teaching here that some Christians have only been forgiven a little and others have been, been forgiven a lot. As we're learning in Romans 3, we're all on a level playing field. We're all bad. That's not what he's saying. Instead, he is contrasting unbelievers. He's talking to a Pharisee there, an unbeliever who failed to understand his sinfulness compared to true believers who do understand it. But I think at the same time, 
our Lord is making a point that the more profound your understanding of your sinfulness, the greater will be your gratitude to and your love for God and His grace. You will love God even more as a result. That's why you need to study this passage. That's why it's important for us as believers to get this. Because as you understand who you really were, as you see your portrait as painted by God, then you see what he's forgiven you from. And you will love him so much more. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part four of Not Even One. Tom will continue with part five on our next program. Join us then, won't you? Well, we'd like you to know that Tom has a new book out titled The God Who Hears, a book of pastoral prayers. It features 31 scripture readings and accompanying pastoral prayers. Tom's book is available for purchase right now online at thewordunleashed.org. As always, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.